One of the blessings it is to travel a bit and to be part of a lot of different things God is doing on the earth is you get to come with an outside perspective and, and see something with eyes that don't see it every week, you know? They don't see it all the time. And one thing I, I feel excited about just even encouraging you guys and bringing your attention to is what, what God is doing here, it isn't, it isn't normal. I wish it was normal. I believe we're headed towards pockets of believers all over America that would make it normal, but it isn't normal yet. And I think about the special moment in God that we're in, how, you know, four years ago, some friends climbed into a van together, a, a, a mobile home together, to, to cruise across the states to see what God was doing. And that in itself is awesome and quite special. But I've seen so many young people do like fiery things for the Lord, and it's, it's very cool, and they do it for a second, and then it passes on and it goes away. And it happens all the time. Like I can remember when I was 24, like he was starting this awesome worship gathering endeavor. Don't get me wrong, like it was such an awesome summer, springtime of my life where we gathered for 10 weeks and just saw God do crazy things and so stoked to see salvations and healings and young people exalting the Lord and coming to him in repentance and all these things. But, but what isn't common is whenever young people stop themselves and say, I actually want to steward what God is doing. And I want to take it seriously. And that, that's one of the things that makes this community so special is, is a real reverence and fear of the Lord to say, I, I, I don't want to pass by quickly or briefly. I want to take hold of the spirit of the Lord in this moment in God and not miss a single ounce of what God has for us. And, and I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump into what I, what I was hoping to share with you guys tonight. But I want to challenge this room. It feels kind of like a lame challenge because I think if you're in this room, you already already are living this challenge maybe. Um, and that it can't be for awesome worship leaders or preachers or the staff members of every heart to carry responsibility for revival in Michigan and revival in America and revival in our generation in their hearts. It can't, it can't be just their job. It has to be all of us in this room's job. We need every single person in here to take responsibility for all God is saying and doing. Yes. That there, there, isn't, there isn't any space anymore to be um, just a, a fan. You can't, you can't sit in the stands anymore. The, the, that, that space is being erased in Western Christianity. And I want to invite you into the game if you're not already in it. I mean, if you're in this room, I imagine you're already in it. That we have to take responsibility for what is God assigning? Is he giving me now? What, is, what assignment is he giving me within an every heart community? What assignment is he giving me within my university, in my high school, within my workplace? Well, what assignment is he giving me within Michigan or America? And how am I owning all that God is asking me to do? And how am I becoming the person he's asking me to become? Does that make sense? And I, I just want to invite us in that. I'm going to pray for us that God will grip our hearts on that idea and then we'll hop into how, how do we just make it begin. Maybe just a couple quick thoughts on how do you, we begin to touch that and to become those people. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. We ask you to come right now, God. Grip our hearts with responsibility. That it's, it's not for an arena gathering of 7,000 to take responsibility. It's for this room. It takes this room to take responsibility. 
God, even the assignments in this room begin to bring them to the front of our hearts, to the front of our minds, that they would burden us to to lean in and, and to need you more than we've ever needed you, God. Amen. Um, I just like if, if you just it feels like that is who this room is, but I just, I have to have response. It helps me. Maybe I'm just getting nervous in front of a group of people. You know, like if you're just like, man, I I, I maybe I've heard this message a thousand times, but if you just have something like burning in your heart, just something like, man, it's maybe my workplace, maybe it's my school, it even have to be for me talking, but just coming into this space, you just know I have a missions field. Can I just get an amen? Three, two, one. Amen. Okay, well, I was checking. I just need to make sure we're all in agreement on that. Good. I think I counted all of those, every single one of them. Praise God. Okay, how do we do that? If we, if we want to become people who are taking responsibility and we want to steward the moment in God, how do we do that? I, I was up last night Late, uh, try and go to sleep. I'm staying in Grant's parents' house last night because we were eating this amazing pasta, which I'm going to mention like seven times in this absurd maybe. And we're eating this amazing pasta, and I go to bed, I'm laying in bed trying to sleep, and all I can think about is, is how do we take hold of what you're doing right now, God? That's all I really want to talk about is how do we, how do we participate? Where do we enter into this? And I just laid in bed till way too late because I don't know, if has anybody else here like a night thinker? I just, I can't help myself. Once it starts, I'm like almost like viscerally angry once it starts. Because then it will be like minimum of two hours. My head is just spinning and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And rabbit trail. And then I wake up the next morning and I think I have genius on my hands. And I like check my notes on my phone. And it's like maybe one good idea and like 30 terrible ideas. <laughs> and you're like, a pasta ministry? That's not the, that's not the um, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but that was kind of like, praise God, I feel like there was one thing worth turning our attention to. And, um, and it was, I felt like there were these two ideas of, of if, if you're in this room, I'm stoked to be in tomorrow night's gathering and just to worship with crazy amount of fiery people so in love with Jesus. I'm so stoked about that. But if you come on Sunday nights, from what I can tell, I'm pretty new, but from what I can tell, if you come here on Sunday nights, you're a leader and you want to lead and you want to see God do things in your community, you're hungry, either you already have plenty going on in your university schedule and you still come here, or you've graduated university and you're like, man, I don't want to stop, I want to keep leaning in for more and you come here, or you're a family or in high school who said, I don't want to stop, I want to lean in, I want to come here for more, and so I just, I have that feeling about this night that it's leaders in the end, so if we're leaders, there were two leaders in the Old Testament that certain attributes of who they were began to really stick out to me, and the first one was Daniel and his faithfulness. Daniel and his faithfulness, and we could probably spend way too much time just in Daniel going back and forth about all the different things in his life. But if you look at the Old Testament, there's actually not as many great examples of, like, incredible men who are just awesome men who lived incredibly faithful lives right out the gate. Most of the men in the Old Testament, you actually see quite a bit of failure first in their lives, and that's okay. I'm not not trying to come against them. God, obviously, that's who he is. Use those people, but you see the life of Daniel, and it is offensively faithful. He lives an offensively faithful life. And in Daniel 1, let's see here. In Daniel 1, when he's a young man, oh, am I going to read this whole thing? No, I'm not going to read this whole thing. Uh, When he's a young man, he comes in this moment with the other servants where, you know, they they put out this, this decree of all the nations that have been conquered that any men who are of good health and 
good leadership, good wisdom, all these things. They're like, we want those guys to come in and we want those guys to help us and to contribute to our kingdom. And of course, Daniel gets pulled in. And as he gets pulled in, his first big dilemma is they have this great feast for him involving all these different amazing meats and cheeses. And I'm just not even sure why he would say no to that, but God is on it. And he says, no, let us have fruits and vegetables and test us. And as a young man, he comes out quickly and he could be living a lavish lifestyle as a young man and he chooses faithfulness to the Lord as from the time he's young. There's lots of other amazing moments of him leaning in, but, but then you fast forward to Daniel 6, probably the most fun part of Daniel, and you fast forward to the lion's den as people don't realize that when he was abstaining from fruits and vegetables, that was young Daniel. And when you fast forward over to Daniel 6, now you've got like 85-year-old Daniel. You've got old man Daniel, frail old man Daniel who's high up in the kingdom, and now he's seen multiple rulers come and go over him. And in this moment... He's underneath uh, King Darius. And I think I'm just going to hop into this and read the whole thing. This one I do have to read the whole thing. It's too good. But I might be blind, so I'm going to bring it really high so I can see it. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with, their, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them. So that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among his administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to that the king planned to set oh sorry the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrator the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government of governmental affairs, but. They were unable to do so. They could not find corruption in him because he was too trustworthy. And neither was he corrupt nor was he negligent. They, they find this man who they're upset. You've got all of these different uh, lower level leaders who get Daniel appointed as their leader. And they become upset towards him like, oh, no, this sucks. This is not what I want to see. Daniel is now my boss. And so they begin to search him and they try to find something in him and find fault in him. Like maybe he's dropping the ball on his responsibilities somewhere. Or, or maybe he's like stealing and has a little side hustle going on. Or maybe there's some scandal in his life. And they begin to search his character and search the way he does it. business and how he lives. And they can't find anything. Not only can they not find any flaw in the way that uh, he, he conducts himself, he has no major you know, stealing or, or no major scandal going on. He, even as his work, he's not negligent. He gets it done that instead of him, he's this excellent man that even to those who are not Jews, they respect Daniel as Daniel. He doesn't make mistakes. That guy has devoted him to ex himself to excellence. He's devoted himself to not perfection, but excellence in what he does. And that makes them mad. So they decide, man, we, we got to find something wrong with him. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In fact, they find him so, so dialed in what he's doing. The only place they can find fault in him is like, oh, maybe, maybe in the way he conducts himself in submitting to the law of the Lord, that's where we'll get him. He's even known for faithfulness to, God, faithfulness to God's word. We can get him on faithfulness to God's word. So the administrators and the satraps went 
as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put a decree in writing. Uh, I think often we like read this story because if you know where the story goes, King Darius becomes you know, heartbroken that it leads to Daniel going to the high lines. But King Darius is not a great God. Like, you read this message and he, he is immediately stoked about the idea that we're going to have the whole nation worship me as a God. Like immediately he's like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, it didn't take much convincing. Like, yeah, yeah, let's prop me up as a God. He's, he's you know, you can't really trust this man. Go a little bit further in here. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had, as he had done before. Then Daniel, praying and asking for God's help, or just as he had done before, praying and asking for God's help. Okay, you get this decree from the king as Daniel, and you've got to think about 85-year-old Daniel, who since a young man has been faithful to God when he didn't eat the fruits and vegetables and so many other crazy moments, and now we get to this moment as he's 85, and he, you know, whether he reads it in a letter or he sees it on a poster or he hears it by word of mouth, basically finds out, if I worship my God, then... I'm going to be thrown to the lions, and, and the process in his mind must have been miraculous, where it's like, well, I haven't tried to take care of myself from the beginning. I'm not going to try now. I haven't been looking after my own needs from the beginning. I'm not going to try to look after my own needs now. And he gets pressed, and in a moment of getting pressed, what he chooses to do is so outrageous. He goes home as he's... Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. And it's known, he, he, he prays with his window open, facing towards Jerusalem. It's interesting that they knew where they could catch him because he was so faithful that he was known for the fact that he was going to be there praying every day. This was a simple, this was a simple gotcha for them. There, we know his intimacy with the Lord. It's crazy that even the wicked men of, the, of the, the nation knew his intimacy with God so well that they know where they can go catch him pray. He always is there three times a day. He's that kooky, crazy old man. We don't know why he's in charge of the kingdom. He's so devoted to God, we'll get him in his devotion to God. And I imagine he must have had some friends who ended up refusing to worship God for those 30 days. I don't, I don't know. Or, or at least some friends who who liked him from the, the kingdom. And I, I can't imagine even the perspective of that from the people who weren't trying to catch him. Like, think about the street he's on where his neighbors who maybe are his buddies like see him swinging the windows open. They're like, Daniel, just Daniel, Daniel, just close the window, bro. Like, God will still love you. There's not even a law that says you need to pray with the window open. Just, just close the dang window. And like, the, the suspense that must have gone through that moment as you see you know, think about an 80-year-old man getting on his knees. That already is pretty, like, suspenseful, you know? Like, there's a lot to that. It's not simple. I don't know, like, how many 80-year-olds you're hanging out with. But, like, getting on your knees is hard. You know, it's challenging. 
And we are good friends, Daryl. You know, Daryl, yeah, like, we, we, I know some eight year olds, okay? I understand. And, like, imagine, never has there ever been that much suspense in an eight year old man getting on his knees. Never. I guarantee it. That it probably isn't a super exciting sight, you know, watching someone, but like, like that moment where he's maybe like leaning and he's getting one knee down, and his neighbor's like, no, 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 and Daniel's faithfulness is known, and it ends up getting him in some pretty big trouble. Sorry, the shadow's making it hard for me to see it. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree during the next 30 days? Anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws, and it cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is the one, or sorry, they said to the king, Daniel, who is the one who is exiled from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to your decree. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue, sorry, the shot is killing me, to rescue Darius and to and made every effort until sundown to save him. Oh, let's keep going. Then the men went to a... Uh, <laughs> then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, in accordance with the law, that no decree or edict that the king has issued can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. King said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. I love that. The king calls him, he knows. He can't help but talk to him as the God who you continually serve. That's his title in the eyes of the king, not Daniel who crushes it on the like, spreadsheets as he oversees everybody, you know? Not Daniel, the man of excellence, but he's Daniel, the guy who has this God, it's the God he continually serves. May that God rescue you. I think about even the offense, the offense that must have been spinning through Daniel. This is a respected man. I mean, even an 80-year-old to be abused at any point is already kind of outrageous, but a respected man who's high in the kingdom has now got accusation being thrown at him. And it's true accusation on one side. Uh, but he's, he's got people coming after him and, and the idea of a, of a grown man being tossed down into a lion's den. Let alone an 80-year-old man being tossed down into a lion's den. And, and the amount of offense when, when that, not just inconvenience, but, but real persecution against him comes. I mean, I think about how quickly I get offended. How quickly do you get offended? How quickly do we let, like, challenge or situations affect us and offend us and, and excuse us away from leaning into faithfulness to the Lord? Uh, I was thinking about it this morning, about this time in Papua New Guinea. I did a, a long out, or, well, I did an outreach in Papua New Guinea uh, years ago, I don't know, maybe six years ago now. 
And we spent a long time in the bush from village to village to village for several weeks, taking banana boats and hiking. It was just awesome. Such a great time. And there was one village we came in, and we really felt prayer and worship was the move. Like, we need to pray for the next 12 hours. So there were only 12 of us, so we were like, all right, let's each take an hour. And I think it's pretty standard, you know. And we'll, we'll pray through the night. And I, I chose this 4 a.m. prayer time that I felt like was the prime move. I was like, well, I can go sleep right now. I can still get my uninterrupted eight hours. I was feeling so quiet by the fact that I was going to get my uninterrupted sleep and all of my entitlement. And I remember I went to sleep, and the... The walls of the place we're staying in, you know, it's just grass. It's just like bamboo and grass and whatnot. Like if you push, you can push your hand through the wall and pat your on the back. And I'm sleeping, and I'm sleeping in this like very small hut area with my friend Dave. And it's like all the space they have in this hut, but it's not quite wide enough for the two of us. So we've kind of got one of these going on already for our night of sleep, you know. And there's like a singular mosquito net, so you've kind of got that squeezing on the other side of you. And I'm sleeping, and there's this girl on my team, I'll leave her name out, let's call her Susie. And Susie was, it was her hour to pray to the Lord, but it was a bit too dangerous in the village for her to be out away from where we're sleeping, praying. So she's praying through that thin grass wall, like right next to my face. And, and like, like you know, like you know that girl who got told as a young child that she has like a beautiful singing voice and she has believed it her entire life. And you are stoked about that because you want her to have that, you know? Like that's so we talked about like, class today. Awesome that. But she believes little well, Susie believes she's God's, you know, little songbird, you know? Little, little Susie also tone deaf, alright? But like and, and I'm trying to sleep. And I, you know, it's like 3 a.m. I'm trying to sleep. Like, let it be a sweet, sweet sound. And I'm like, so hard to sleep. I'm so mad. I'm so tired. I've got, I've got Dave up on my shoulder here. It's so hot. It's so sweaty. And I'm like, Susie. What's happening? Susie. Trying to get got headphones in, so she has no idea. Susie. 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 If I can yell through this. But the problem is now I've yelled louder than she's singing. And I wake up pretty much everyone on my team in this hut and yell at Susie. And Dave is like up against me and he's like, Zane. What Susie is doing is more important than your sleep. And I'm like, Dave, shut up. <laughs> and I got my way. She made me shut up. And, and she stopped singing. And I'm laying there. And about five seconds to me laying there, I'm like, gosh, I am the worst. <laughs> and I can feel my entitlement to I deserve my sleep interrupting my faithfulness to God giving me worship. And it's a... I'm so mad that I'm being convicted about it. And so I wake up and I, I, I like, literally, again, you can just basically push the wall. And I push the wall to pat it on the shoulder because I don't want to yell like, Jesse, let's, we'll go out by, you know, there's like a, always a cook fire in the village somewhere and there's some you gave me mom's cooking something amazing around me. We'll be by the fire and you can finish your prayer time and then I'll take over and do mine. So I wake up and we go and pray. It was awesome. But I think about Daniel and his 
faithfulness to the Lord. I, I, I can't handle losing my single hour of sleep. I can't handle, like, my, I'm so entitled to my single hour of sleep that I, I interrupt the Lord receiving worship, receiving faithfulness, receiving people choosing him. And Daniel, this old respected man, is willing to be tossed into the lion's den. Now's as good as time to go as in. Didn't look after myself for this long. Didn't hold it as entitlement for this long. Now is as good a time as any. He gets tossed into the lion's den. We'll fast forward a little bit because we've got to talk about David. But at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? The response is crazy. This is where offense, and this is where he should be so deeply bothered and ready to be so mad. But his response, he goes, D Daniel answered, O king, live forever. O king, live forever. He should be like, O king, get down here. O king, I can't believe that you let them get you on a technicality just because you wanted people to pray to you, you crazy man. No, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels, and he has shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, king. The king was overjoyed. He gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and Daniel was lifted out of the den. No wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. He ends up, the king ends up, Deciding, okay, these dudes who play this, you know, fast one on me, he's so impacted by not just Daniel's supernatural God, but his non-offense to him at this moment that he's like, okay, these dudes, done. He kills those guys. He moves on, and then this is where it really gets me as the king. Oh, it's here a little bit further. Then King Darius wrote to all of the nation, all the people's nations, and men of every language throughout the land. He writes a letter. He. he the king decides, I need to announce what's happened here. He writes a letter and he sends it. The, you know, the Joe Biden of, of this time writes a letter or a Twitter post or whatever you want it to be. I don't really care. But he writes, he goes, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures Forever, His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's quiet time led to an entire kingdom hearing the decree that his God is the real God. That's crazy. That's insane. What is... What is the Lord birthing inside of your secret place? What is he birthing inside of you saying yes to the words of the Lord that he's spoken to you? I even had a feeling some of us tonight, there's some parts of faithfulness. There are words of the Lord that he's spoken to us, maybe of going into missions, maybe of preaching the gospel to our friends, maybe of, 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 of saying no to this job and yes to this job. But I feel like there was words of the Lord that the Lord was inviting you back to faithfulness. Remember what I said to you. Be back in and choose me again today. Choose me again today. Choose me again today. Choose me again today. What does it look like when all of every heart gets gripped by faithfulness? Okay, the second man. 
talk about David. So if it's David, if it's Daniel's faithfulness, I'm going to say it's David's authenticity and vulnerability before the Lord, his authenticity and vulnerability. Maybe you just call it him being raw, just being raw before God. Being absolutely raw before God. I was just kind of scrolling through a few Psalms today, just looking for some fun highlights, like a highlight reel on moments that David is just raw before the Lord, and there's so many, but I just threw a couple in here in Psalm 6. I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I have flood my bed with weeping and drenched my couch with tears. Yes, it said couch in the Bible. I thought that was crazy. Um, And drenched my couch with tears. Psalms 32, that I acknowledged my sin and you did not not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave my guilt of my sin. He keeps going. Psalms 38, I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Psalms 143, Lord, hear my prayer and listen to my cry for mercy and your faithfulness and righteousness to come to my relief. Time and time again, David comes in full vulnerability, often even just repent, just simple repentance before the Lord. Say, look, I am broken. I messed up. I don't know where to go. Where to go. I don't know what to do next. I failed you. I repent, Lord. His response is to come to God. His response is to come to God. The crown jewel of these was Psalms 51. It just lit me up. I thought it was so good. It was just this beautiful picture of him being vulnerable before the Lord. It's right after, it's right after he slept with Bathsheba. So this is, this is the height of... This is the height of Daniel or David's failure. The height of him really messing it up the most he can mess it up. And I'm not condoning us to get into a pattern of continuing to mess it up and going, that's okay, David always messes it up. But what I'm talking about is in those moments of pain, weakness, iniquity, sin, failure, that what is our knee-jerk response of where do we go? What do we do? And this is his response. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time in my from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire the truth and the inner parts. You teach me wisdom and the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear your gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressions, your ways, and sinners to turn back to you. I'm going to pause there. What, how do we respond in our failure? And what do we respond like? Have we chosen vulnerability before the Lord? 
Or do we sometimes need to coerce ourselves or be coerced into finally going back to God? Do sometimes we just need to wait till the next gathering to finally stir myself up to repent or to confess? Or is it my reaction I've failed? I have to come this morning. You're the only place I can go. Where else can I go? This is all I have. You're all I have for. I was thinking about this, such a cheesy picture, but I was thinking about, do you guys remember being a kid and having a project when you were like 11? And you've had like two months to do this project. And then the night before it's due, you're like, I need a poster board. (laughs) But I can't strive to Walmart, I'm 11. And there's that, that, that moment where you like go to your parents' room and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're like looking at the door like, oh, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> Trying to like, just like, I mean, I know I blew this and I can remember how many times, I mean too many, it's a miracle I graduated school. Uh, like, <laughs> How many times I like went to the door and was like, here we go, I'm going to knock on the door. And how many times my dad answers the door, and I wish I could just introduce you all to my dad because my hero is just the coolest guy. And how many times my dad let out a little sigh, and he goes, put your shoes on. He goes and gets the car. And we go, we get the poster board, threefold, you know the one. You can stand up. And then he's like, show me what you got to put on it. And I'm like, show me what I got. And he's like, you're going to fail. <laughs> Come on. Just like sits down at the computer with me and we work on my project until 2.30 in the morning. And I mean, like, countless. Like, this isn't one time. This is a normal thing that from just growing up. And, and all of you, too, don't lie to me and tell me that you guys did it. You're not alone in this. Where are my procrastinators out? Break that off. That was, that was part of last week's Break off that procrastination. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I always knock on the door and ask him because I know what my dad is like. I know what he's like. There's nothing I can do to move forward until I go to him. There's nothing I can do until I admit my iniquity and admit that I blew it and I didn't tell him sooner or later. I should have been working on it sooner. There's nothing I can do until I become vulnerable before my dad and say, rescue me from my current situation. Dad, I need you. I need you. I was thinking about the faithfulness of Daniel and the authenticity and vulnerability of David, and I was thinking about where they intersect. And where they intersect, I think that's where we become the people God is asking us to become. To become so deeply inspired by what is possible in faithfulness. I'm not telling you to feel shameful about your like, lack thereof faithfulness, or, or maybe consistency is the hardest thing for you, or discipline is where you need fresh challenges. I'm asking that you would look at Daniel's life and go, what's possible is miraculous. It's possible to live an unyielding life. It's possible to make it to 85 years old, desperately in love, and refusing to miss out on it. It's possible. I'm not saying you feel shame about what you missed. I'm just saying, let the inspiration of faithfulness could mark you. Hit you. 
And then simultaneously, the authenticity and vulnerability of this is just the real me, God. This is all I got. And knowing his character so well that that's the first place I would go in those times of meeting. I think about a man pursuing his wife often in this, this regard. I think about like a Brennan pursuing a Kylie and him, let's just say he's so vulnerable and has all of the deep heart connects with Kylie and it's so amazing. And, and maybe he's even romanced her like you wouldn't believe and he's written amazing songs and the chocolates and all the, oh, you know, I mean, he's probably singing the poetry and for also he's being vulnerable. He's like, here's where I'm not awesome and here, like, here's me. Like, this is the most authentic version of me. Here I am, Kylie. Now, let's just say we have that version of him and he goes, but, but, I don't like doing dishes. And so that would be part of my marriage. But taking out the trash, that's just not it for me. I, I'm not going to take out the trash. I'm not going to roll that way. Like, I, I, I'll do things when I like, feel authentically connected to you and raw and real with you. But when I don't feel it, like I'm not going to do it because I, I only want to love you authentically. We would jump it, right? Like, we'd be like, this is like, we're like, bro, not cool. You can't live like that. You eat something. Come after me, Paul. Bread and scrap. I don't think it means. I don't think it But we get a couple of guys. So I brought Colby. And uh, we do it. No, but, but I do that with God all the time. When I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm like, you know, I just don't really feel the goosebumps today, God. I only want to love you whenever it feels authentic or real. Yuck. Yuck. You're like, no, I mean, like, my heart isn't really beating faster as I'm reading scripture right now. I'm not sure that it actually is love to you. No. That's not true. It absolutely is love to take out the trash. It absolutely is love to do the dishes. It's part of it, the package deal. Well, in the same way, if he was the most faithful trash taking out, dish doing, bill paying duty could possibly imagine, but he's withheld the tenderness of his heart and to romance his wife and to let himself be known and to know her. That would also be robbing from her. It's not one or the other. It's where they intersect. That's how we steward what God is doing in our lives and doing in this city. And doing it in Michigan and doing it in our nation is where we let faithfulness intersect with authenticity and recognize we don't serve an idea of a God, but he's a person. He's a person who's so in love with you, and I'm so in love with him. And so I want him to have both parts of me. I don't need the next set of goosebumps to sing in the back of the room. I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to do the dishes, so that's what I'm going to keep doing feel like there's an invitation for us tonight to recognize our need for the gospel all over again. Not just the saving power of the gospel, but the supernatural empowering grace that the gospel puts upon us to live the assignment in which he has handed us. The supernatural empowering gospel that gets me up 
to come to Michigan for the supernatural empowering gospel that gets Bryce up to run another incredible prayer gathering, that gets, that gets you up to go to work tomorrow, that gets you up to go and preach the gospel to your, your classmates tomorrow. We, we need to recognize just how bad we need God and we need the gospel to come and empower us. That, that Daniel, what is the marking thing that would give you 85 years of faithfulness? It's humility that you can recognize there is nothing I can do without the Lord. I will never get breakthrough in this nation without the Lord. I, I need him. I just, I need him. And what is, what is, like, what is the, the rawness and the authenticity of David? Where is it coming from? It's coming from humility. I need the gospel to save me because I, I blew it again. I've got to lean back in and I need this empowering grace of the gospel to save me. Where you end is where God can begin. You have to come to your end for him to start. That it actually should be the greatest joy of our lives when we get pressed up against it where there isn't another direction to go. But into what God is saying, God is doing. And where we end is where he can begin. We need the supernatural power and grace of the gospel to recognize it inside of ourselves. There, there was a... No. Um, change my mind, sorry. I want to do this. I, I, want, I want to pray for you guys tonight. That's, that's where I want to go. I want to, I want to pray for, for three things, basically the three things that we're talking about right here. I want to pray for faithfulness, for authenticity, and for humility. And that we would center ourselves upon them, that we would become those who would steward what God is doing. What did it look like? When three guys stewarded what was God, God was doing in their lives, it led to 7,000 people gathering in a stadium. That's kind of crazy. But what will it look like when an entire room here stewards our lives of what God is saying and what God is doing? How much more is there for us to get up to? How much, how much more responsibility is it that we're supposed to take? But it has to begin. It has to begin with us stewarding what God is doing in our lives right now. It has to begin there. And so the first one... Uh, the first one I was hoping you we could hit is if, if you're hearing a message on faithfulness and you're like, wow, I just I need a I need a re-up on faithfulness. I want to uh, lean back in. Maybe it's it's your prayer times. Maybe it's preaching the gospel faithfully. Maybe in your heart is from cults the gospel. Maybe it's faithfulness to a word of the Lord He gave you. Just faithfulness. I just want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you right where you're at. We're going to pray for all three of these. So if that's you and you're like, man, I need, I need a breakthrough in faithfulness. Tomorrow's got to be a different day. And I'm not looking for a fuzzy moment. I'm looking for my yes to be powerful on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like, I don't know why all the days just went in a weird direction in my life. But I need that breakthrough on faithfulness. Can you just stand up? Like, I'm three. One, two, three. Just stand up. I need a breakthrough on faithfulness.